0: So there's something that happens a lot in scripture where the same thing is told twice, but a little different.
1: Think about the fact that there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all tell the story of Jesus, but in different ways. The story of the creation of the world at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis is told in two different ways. Chapter one of Genesis tells a fully formed creation story. Then chapter two of Genesis tells another creation story that can stand completely on its own if you pull it out and read it apart from number one. And scholars tell us that these two stories at one point were stitched together.
0: And then there's the 10 commandments.
1: There are two versions of the 10 commandments in the Torah. The law, the first five books that are the heart of the Hebrew scriptures. One of them appears in the book of Exodus, and the second in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's the same Ten Commandments, these foundational laws that are at the heart of the Torah. But as you read through them, some of the rationales for each commandment differ a little. And one of the places where that happens is the rationale for keeping
0: Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, says the commandment.
1: And in the book of Exodus, it says, because the Lord your God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. So in Exodus, the rationale for the Sabbath goes back to the creation story, back to the fact, that in Genesis, God takes six days to create the heavens and the earth, and then God rests and sets a kind of template for the whole world. It's as if to say, God rested on the seventh day, and so did the whole universe, and so should we. From the very beginning, so things have been, and so things should be. But in Deuteronomy, the rationale is different. In Deuteronomy, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because you, the people of Israel, were once slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God acted with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm to deliver you from bondage and commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Deuteronomy doesn't look back to the beginning of creation, to the universe, to the way that things are from creation. It looks back to a specific time in history and to an act of liberation. That God has done to set a people free. And it's as if to say, you are not slaves anymore, and so you were not created to do nothing but toil. You are human beings, free with dignity. And so God has given you this command to observe a day of rest, a day of rest that's a sign of liberation.
0: Now, there's nothing wrong with the fact that there are these two different reasons to keep the
1: Sabbath. And they're very compatible, right? There are plenty of good reasons to keep Sabbath. And so one might look to the beginning of the universe for a pattern that God set and then say, we were created in God's image, and so it is right and just for human beings to rest. And so having been set free from slavery and restored to the condition of human beings, free and dignified, let us rest. It all hangs together. But you have to do some interpretative work to find the connections, which is how scripture works so much of the time. And so scripture leaves itself open for us to interpret and to toy with and to find connections and to wonder about the reasons for things. And so it is that we find Jesus in the synagogue
0: on a Sabbath day. He performs an act of healing, an act of liberation. He sets free a woman who has been bent over for 18 years. He raises her up. And his act of
1: liberation is met with a rebuke. And the leader of the synagogue, who in this story seems to function as the representative of so much of what so many religious traditions so often bring what we might call bad religion, right? Religious tradition used to oppress, used as a straitjacket to hold us tight and to stifle the possibilities for setting people free. Have you ever encountered a religious tradition being used that way?
0: There is a thing that Christians
1: sometimes do when they interpret passages like this, that is toxic, which is to take all the bad parts of religion and identify them with Judaism or with the Old Testament, and then take all the good parts of religion and identify them with Jesus and Christianity and the New Testament. That habit has been fueling sermons for centuries and fueling anti-Semitism for centuries and fueling unspeakable horrors. So we have to get out of that habit when we interpret this passage. This is not about the synagogue leader as the representative of Judaism or Moses or the Torah and Jesus as something new coming along to preach a loving gospel of grace and freedom. This is about two leaders situated right within the heart of Judaism in an act of creative struggle over the interpretation of sacred wisdom and sacred texts. And we might say that the synagogue leader is a little more aligned with the Exodus version of the Sabbath. He says, there are six days on which you can do work. Come and be healed on those days. As if to say, look, the universe has been set up this way for us by God. There are six perfectly good days. But the seventh has been set aside.
0: And his interpretation is not completely unreasonable except that it leaves out liberation.
1: And we might say that in this case, Jesus seems to lean a little more on the Deuteronomy version of Sabbath. As he, in his response, says, not only does everyone feed their animals on Sabbath, in other words, the law does allow certain things to happen on Sabbath that are not considered work and healing should fall within that category, But he also reaches back to Deuteronomy to say, should not this woman who has been in bondage for 18 long years, shouldn't she also be set free on the Sabbath day? And so Jesus aligns himself in this long tradition of God doing something new. God acting in history at a specific place and time. Here and now, God is rescuing the Israelites from slavery. Here and now. God acting in Jesus is
0: rescuing this woman from her bondage. And this is a way that God has been acting throughout the ages and to this day, setting people free. How do we hold together tradition, religious practice,
1: markers of identity, with the possibility that God sometimes stretches us beyond what we are used to. The answer is not to scrap the Sabbath. The answer is not to scrap Torah. The answer is to find resources to understand what God is doing in new ways, right within the tradition.
0: Now you and I are
1: sitting in a stream of tradition. This is a Christian congregation in the Episcopal family, which is part of the Anglican tradition, a tradition of churches descended from the Church of England that practice and pray and worship in certain ways governed by a prayer book and a lot of tradition. So much of that tradition is so lovely. I think it's lovely, maybe you do. Stained glass windows and candles, incense and chant, vestments, music, organ pipes, a whole constellation of images and sounds and smells and feelings that for many of us go right to the heart in a place of beauty. At the same time, Anglicanism as a tradition is also bound up with a lot that has not been about God setting people free. After all, we are a church that was founded in British empire and in the expansion of that empire around the world imposed in many places, hand in hand with colonialism. And any sociologist will tell you that in North America, Anglicanism and the Episcopal church has often been seen as a country club church, the church of power, the church of
0: university donors. What is it about Anglicanism that is at the core? What is it that's not? What is it in our
1: tradition that we can reach to as foundational resources, not for a straitjacket for how God might keep us imprisoned, but as resources for how God might use this tradition and this way of being Christian to set people free here and now?
0: I don't know all the answers in their specifics,
1: but an image I'm drawn to that I've forgotten who first shared it with me is of the Anglican way of being Christian as a rowboat. Because in a rowboat, you have to look backward to go forward. You look backwards at where you've been as you make your way towards where you can't see yet, but where God is
0: steering you. Tradition and the future the great theologian Jaroslav Pelikan has written that traditionalism is the dead faith of the living, but tradition is the living faith of the dead. Let me say that again. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition
1: is the living faith of the dead. And indeed, those who have died have committed to us a living tradition that calls us to discover in our own day how God is raising people up and setting people free.
0: There's a line in our epistle
1: reading today that sticks out to me. This passage from the letter to the Hebrews, which itself is an act of creatively reconfiguring the imagery of the Torah, full of these images of darkness and Mount Sinai and smoke and Moses trembling in fear. And in this dense passage, it says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Did you catch that line? This blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And that line refers back to the book of Genesis where it narrates the story of the first murder. This foundational mythical story of how violence enters the world with two brothers in rivalry and Cain strikes down Abel. And God says, Cain, Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground.
0: Blood that speaks.
1: We don't know what word Abel's blood speaks, but we might imagine that the word it speaks is vengeance. Because as the story goes on, Cain's descendants speak of vengeance. They speak of killing those who kill them. And it's as if in this Genesis story, the foundational story of Cain and Abel is about a cycle of violence that begins at one point and perpetuates itself down the generations.
0: And so we have Jesus. And Jesus comes to disrupt this cycle, to set us free from it.
1: On the cross, Jesus speaks a word, and he speaks a word to God about those who are crucifying him. He says, Father, forgive Forgive them,
0: for they do not know what they are doing.
1: I don't know exactly what the author of Hebrews had in mind when they wrote these words but I imagine the blood of Jesus speaking the word, forgive, which is a better word than the word
0: of the blood of Abel. And
1: in some ways, this passage is another example of God taking tradition and doing something new. God taking the way things have been since the foundation of the world and disrupting it to set people free. To set us free from the need to continually take vengeance. To set us free from imprisonment to violence.
0: Just as God is always doing.
1: I wonder what God is doing new in your life this year. I wonder what God is doing new in our life as a church. Today, Jesus has lifted up a woman who has been in bondage for 18 years.
0: And he is commissioning us to be lifted up and to join him in his work of setting all creation free.